Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Hello, this is William Selmer for AJHP Voices, speaking with three pharmacists who are authors or co-authors of chapters in the 2016 edition of the Pharmacy Forecast Report published by the ASHP Foundation. This report predicts five-year trends that are likely to have a major impact on health system pharmacy practice, and it offers strategic recommendations to practitioners on how to get in front of those trends. With me are Scott Knorr, Chief Pharmacy Officer at Cleveland Clinic, Rita Shane, Chief Pharmacy Officer at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, and Lee Vermeulen, Director, Center for Clinical Knowledge Management at UW Health, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Scott, your chapter in the Pharmacy Forecast Report focuses on healthcare delivery and financing. From your perspective, what do you think are the main, the most important predictions that the forecast panel uh, came up with in the responses to the survey? Yeah, Bill, I think the biggest focus, you know, and to kind of summarize a lot of the, the chapter here is that with the, the changing models that we're seeing going from the historic fee-for-service model to more of a global payment model really requires us to rethink where and when we're giving pharmacy services and managing medication therapy really across the continuum. Rita, I'll ask the same question of you with your chapter on uh, population health management, the most important, the most significant predictions by the forecast panel. Uh, I think related to the healthcare delivery and financing, the notion of going beyond managing the acute care exacerbation and a focus on wellness and really taking into account the total cost of care. Lee, let me turn to you. Your chapter on the pharmaceutical marketplace, what did you see as the main predictions, the most important predictions of the forecast panel? Well, of course, the growth of the cost of medications is certainly a, a key factor, and it's hard to look at this chapter without focusing on cost. But I actually think the bigger concern and the bigger opportunity for health system pharmacy going forward is in focusing on the fragmentation of our distribution channels, the, the risk and the opportunity that exists with respect to providing leadership and managing that fragmentation or hopefully limiting that fragmentation may actually be as important as managing cost. Well, Lee, let me just stick with you. Uh, given what you've just said about sort of the most important implications of the pharmaceutical marketplace domain in this report, how should pharmacy practice leaders take what you've just said into account in planning for the next several years? Well, I, I would think that many health system pharmacy leaders are struggling with, the, with this issue already. I think they need to make it a priority for their strategic planning. I think they need to be thinking about specialty distribution, limited distribution systems, and finding ways of combating uh, the fragmentation that is affecting the, the quality of the care they're delivering to their patients. I think one of the key ways of doing that is by shifting the focus from thinking about their health system as an organization to thinking about the care that their patients are receiving. And to that end, leverage our patients to be advocates for decreasing that fragmentation. Patients don't like fragmented care any more than we do. 
and I do I think that many patients feel that they're powerless to deal with their insurance company or with others who are telling them they have to put up with fragmented distribution and with the, the kind of confusion that that causes, particularly when they have the kinds of illnesses that require the medications that today are being pushed into those systems. I think we need to leverage our patients to be advocates of health system pharmacy to say, look, I want my health system pharmacist to be the person that is handling my care coordination with respect to these medications. And I think that's got to be part of an overarching strategic plan for, for every health system. If I could jump in, I, I certainly agree with both Rita and Lee, and all of these really do tie in together. And, and when Lee mentions the fragmentation of care, I think it's really incumbent upon us as, as leaders to attempt to really leverage the entire pharmacy enterprise and manage that medication continuum including things like making sure that we can supply specialty pharmaceuticals because you know tying it back into the delivery and financing we're still today in the ambulatory world we're reimbursed in a fee-for-service model so the more medications we dispense the more we get paid but if we don't have that infrastructure that we're building today then when we get into tomorrow's world if we've basically outsourced that important component that high cost high touch high education medications if we don't own that and manage the continuum and we've outsourced that to a third-party chain pharmacy then we lose our ability to manage costs and quality as we shift to a cost model more like we are in the inpatient I also think that we need to leverage the success that we've had traditionally in the acute care base with respect to uh, managing medications effectively and being very cognizant of how to reduce costs on the acute care side across the continuum. And from a population health perspective, the alignment and kind of some of the transparency and eventually, I guess what, what I would say is the lines are going to become very blurred between payer and health system. That's really the focus of the innovative payment models that are emerging and alternative payment models. And so as we look at that, if we think about why the fragmentation occurred, part of it was payers wanting a better understanding of what they're paying for in terms of high-cost drugs. And so specialty pharmacy and restricted distribution channels and this kind of outsourced model that Scott spoke to is really a result of payers wanting a better understanding of what they're paying for payers are also very, very concerned about their high-risk populations. And so I think what all three of us are saying is this fragmentation is a pharmacy imperative. There are also significant opportunities for us to be providing these services within our health systems as opposed to outsourcing them. And they really become a patient care imperative for the future because in order to ensure that these high-risk patients don't end up being readmitted and have adverse events downstream, we want to manage the total patient. And so it really does make sense that payers will want to work with us, but we need to take the leadership role in engaging them and demonstrating our results not only on the cost side, but on the effectiveness we've had in reducing adverse events by managing patients across the transitions of care. Lee, I'd like to go back to a comment you made about the pharmacist and the patient perhaps uh, teaming up to uh, find ways to reduce fragmentation or at least the impact of fragmentation in, in healthcare delivery. Could you just elaborate on that? Have you seen any good models in practice where this has been done? I'm not aware of any specific reports of, of great practices, but I do know that when 
patients and pharmacists are working together. For example, in, in, our, in our cancer center, when our patients are working with our oncology pharmacists to, to manage their high-cost uh, oral meds as well as uh, some of the parenteral products, we, we, find, we find an ability to uh, allow our, uh, our pharmacists to work with payers to say, look, this, this shouldn't have to go through a specialty provider. I, I, I need to be able to care for this patient entirely, including when it comes to the products that are being distributed through the specialty distribution channel. When these patients are so complicated and the risks of their care uh, and the therapies they're receiving are so high, uh, we have to be able to to, to make that, that, uh, that coordinated care work and to say I'm calling on behalf of my patient and then to have the patient follow up with another phone call back to their insurer, let's say, to say I don't, I'm not willing to accept uh, this, this fragmentation. My pharmacist has called you that my pharmacist can take care of my needs. Uh, you need to let them and you can't, you can't force me to do something that's going to create poor outcomes. Engaging physicians as well in that as our advocates to say I'm not willing to let uh, let these patients be cared for in this kind of fragmented way, uh, I think is another another great great approach. We work with insurers constantly. You know, pharmacists are used to working with insurers, and 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 really, when it comes to uh, a total cost of care for the insurers, they're not in any any greater uh, uh, they don't have any greater interest in seeing uh, seeing their outcomes uh, be poor because costs will again continue to rise. We need to be able to demonstrate that and, and that we can do the kind of work that they uh, are. are currently for uh, you know, distributing out to specialty providers. Lee, I'm very interested in how you approach this at the uh, University of Wisconsin Health. Uh, is this a formalized role for selected pharmacists to uh, intervene in, in ways that you outlined, or uh, is it something that all uh, frontline clinical practitioners get engaged in? Well, in our institution, we've got a very specific group of pharmacists that work in the cancer center, and I think all of them are very uh, knowledgeable about ways of working with providers. We do have a specialty care pharmacy program, and there's a small number of pharmacists that do a great deal of work in that area. But I, I would argue that this isn't something that we can limit to just a small number of pharmacists and a small cadre of, of providers. We, we need to make this uh, given the, the, the sort of increasingly ubiquitous kind of nature of this fragmented model, I think every pharmacist has got to become better at understanding how to manage these systems and intervene when they see a patient starting to have their care suffer due to that fragmentation. I think a lot of pharmacists need to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Good, thank you. Scott, I'm sorry I interrupted you earlier. Please go no ahead. No problem, my friend. Um, yeah, I had a couple comments and thoughts on that, and I, I agree certainly with what, what Lee said, you know, but I think we also need to be more patient-centered and embrace technology and find ways that we can help patients be healthy. A lot of health systems, uh, physicians are, are doing consults uh, through iPhones and, and apps. Uh, in order to reach more patients, I think we really have to look at how we, how we do that, how we make it convenient for a patient who has a question just to tap into an app and, you know, within a few minutes get a, get a pharmacist to answer their questions. I think the other thing which ties into Rita's side on, on population health is every industry is talking about big data and how do we leverage that? Well, my goodness, do we have a lot of big data in pharmacy? We have electronic health records. We know every lab the patient's ever had. We know if they're readmitted. You know, we can't 
target and talk to every patient that we think needs a pharmacist because that would be all patients. So how do we use the data and how do we uh, leverage that and target the patients who we know are the most risk? So I, I think we really need to sort of change our focus to you know what the patient needs and what the data tells us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just piggyback onto that. So when the patients are in the hospital, that is an opportunity for us to identify these patients. And I think certainly, and we're working with predictive analytics and looking at how to have that information come to the pharmacist electronically. The vision I've been saying to my staff is, if we think about a, a hospital health system pharmacist, we're hospitalist pharmacists. And so I, I said, what, what if... Um, the role during this hospital encounter for you as a hospitalist pharmacist to identify which patient is going to need further follow-up. And then that gets handed off to a pharmacist who's involved in a transitions of care role or a primary care role. And the follow-up isn't limited to just the post-discharge episode, but that patient becomes the responsibility of, of designated pharmacists for, for ongoing follow-up throughout this patient's course. I've seen that model in oncology to Lee's point where in oral chemo clinics, the pharmacists do ongoing follow-ups with patients because they're actually doing the medication management for that patient. But I think that that model would work very well for, as we're, we're talking about, these high-risk populations, which more and more are on chronic immunotherapies, complex medication regimens, and would benefit from ongoing follow-up, whether it's on a quarterly basis, but really a check-in to see how that patient's doing well beyond the, the Medicare wellness visit that's becoming the norm among the commercial payers. Well, Rita, this line of discussion got started by um, me asking Lee to reflect on specific uh, strategic recommendations in his domain that he's written on, pharmaceutical marketplace. If we come back to your domain now of population health management, are there any uh, particular strategic recommendations that you made in this chapter that you'd like to emphasize in this conversation? Yeah, I, I think population health and what we're seeing is an alternative payment models or risk sharing, savings sharing, contracting really takes our formulary management to a new level of um, looking at what I would call a disciplined evidence-based approach on really looking at this value question that brings in bioethics and how we're going to manage these high-cost drugs across the continuum. So for me, population health management is also really taking formulary management and evidence-based practice to the next level. Then at the, at the patient-centered focus, again, it's the things we've touched upon, really taking responsibility for that patient. And actually, I think this week there's a, a study or, or a white paper out of the American Geriatric Society that says person-centered management. We really have to look at this as more than the acute care episode and, and look at the post-acute phase as one that we are responsible for to ensure that a problem with anticoagulation in that post-acute phase, whether it's at home or, or in a skilled nursing facility, is managed effectively. Um, those would be two of the things I really did want to highlight. So from what you've just said, Rita, and going back to comments from a few uh, moments ago that you made, I gather that part of your vision, at least for a certain uh, cadre of patients who perhaps are taking high-risk medications or got their unique situations uh, with their illness, that that patient will be able to expect that there's a pharmacist in your system, one individual, that he or she has a continuing relationship in the hospital Correct. out of the hospital. Is that right? Correct. That would be the kind of ideal state. I think, of where we could leverage our knowledge and skills to really support the care of the patient and some of these fragmentation issues would be resolved. It, it really is the primary care physician model of old, if we think about it. So there's the hospitalist pharmacist and potentially a, 
analogy to whether it's a transitions of care pharmacist or in those organizations that have clinics, there are pharmacists that are assigned and have a panel of uh, high-risk patients that, that they work with and ensure that they don't have any uh, medication issues downstream. Scott, I'm turning to you now again um, with your chapter, Healthcare Delivery and Financing. Are there strategic recommendations that you've laid out in your text here that you would like to emphasize? Yeah, absolutely, and I think the, the first strategic recommendation, the end of the conclusion of this chapter on moving assertively to expand uh, pharmacist services in the ambulatory care clinics, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, and we all know this, but uh, Rita mentioned earlier how we just need to take our very successful inpatient models, she used the formulary model, and use those in the ambulatory world. I would say we need to do the same thing that we've always done with pharmacists rounding with the docs and recommending drug therapy, and we need to put more and more of them into our medicine clinics to collaboratively manage chronic disease. I think all of our chapters overlap, that we need to reduce fragmentation, which is Lee's been outspoken on. We need to improve population health, and within the context of healthcare delivery and financing, in the future, we're gonna be paid to keep patients healthy. So in the inpatient world, we don't bill for our services. You know, if a pharmacist changes a dose or recommends a formula substitution, we don't bill for that. We do it because it's cost-effective, improves quality. We've been held back from putting pharmacists in the ambulatory world because yesterday's model, still today's model, is billing, and a PA or nurse practitioner can bill more. We need to get pharmacists in now doing the things that we need to do that we've always done on the inpatient world to improve costs and quality and you know, ASHP is working on ways to get the reimbursement to follow, but even that, the reimbursement is yesterday's model. It's all, you know, as we move toward global payment, how do we do the same thing? How do we reduce costs and improve quality? So really aggressively moving to have pharmacists managing chronic disease, I think would be my biggest recommendation. This publication of the ASHP Foundation, the Pharmacy Forecast Report, is now in its fourth edition. I'd appreciate your perspectives on the report's overall value in strategic planning beyond what you've already said by health system pharmacy departments. Is there anything you would add in terms of the value of this report? Well, I, I really think this is a tremendous resource. And, and in looking across other disciplines, I, ju I just don't see this kind of resource available in, in other disciplines, nursing or in, in uh, really any other area. And I think it's really an essential tool to assist leaders in getting their strategic planning thinking moving. And the one thing that I warn people about when I talk about the forecast is that we're not proposing that we're necessarily right. We think we've got a pretty good handle in these forecasts and using the survey results to have a good sense of where things are going. But even if we're wrong, even if our forecast isn't correct, it doesn't change the value. What it should be doing is stimulate thought, stimulate discussion, and, and when somebody looks at a forecast that I make and they say, I just don't agree, I say, great, I don't, that's great, because at least you've now given enough thought to say, I don't agree with that, which means you must have another opinion, you must have another view, and if you've thought enough to come up with that alternative view, and to say my forecast is wrong, you've, you've started the process of strategic planning. And that's really mm -hmm. the most important part is the process of, of looking at the future and planning for it in a systematic way. And if this does nothing, if this, these reports do nothing more than provoke thought and provoke disagreement even, I think it, the, the report's done its job. Right. 
Scott, uh, what would you uh, add, if anything, about the value of this report in helping pharmacy departments with strategic planning? I think, you know, having done strategic planning quite a bit throughout my, my career, I'd say the most important part of strategic planning is to actually do it, you know, schedule the meeting, get it going. And then I would maybe go almost as bold as to say that if you don't use the pharmacy forecast as, as a tool to kind of see into the future, it's almost negligent on your part. I mean, I, I think this is such good information. Agreeing with Lee that we may not be right, but at least to start those conversations and talk what are the big issues that are going to impact our departments. So I, I, I see this as being an absolutely essential tool to help leaders uh, sort of plot out where they want to be in one, three, and five years. Rita, anything to add? Yeah, I think that in addition to the invaluable role this plays in strategic planning, the, the ability to have this contextual framework of what's going on in healthcare in one document is so essential. I mean, we spend so much of our time dealing with so many of the aspects of therapeutic advances, operational regulatory issues. It's very easy for leaders and pharmacists to get very, very busy with all the things going on in healthcare. And this document beyond forecasting provides kind of at a point in time a very succinct overview of the context of what's going on in healthcare and in pharmacy, which is important for the practitioners to be aware of as well as to give the leaders a framework to, to begin strategic planning. So the content that lies within is really invaluable and I think is a way to kind of keep up to date on things that are, could or could not affect an individual and an organization, but be aware of what's affecting healthcare across the nation and in pharmacy. This has been a discussion with three of the authors or co-authors of chapters in the 2016 edition of the Pharmacy Forecast Report published by the ASHP Foundation. With me have been Scott Knorr, Rita Shane, and Lee Remulin. The Pharmacy Forecast Report, which is an environmental scan for use in strategic planning by health system pharmacy departments, is freely accessible at www.ashpfoundation.org. The content of each edition of the report is different, which is why the Foundation recommends that practice leaders review all editions as part of their strategic planning process. This is William Zelmer. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.